Sometimes we often wonder about difficult situations that are placed before us. And because we are normal citizens without too many qualifications, we are usually led by the, the quality people, like the medicine people in the coronavirus disease. I'm a little bit surprised and disappointed in many ways, simply because of the fact, of course, I'm into sports, so I suppose that I'm, I'm overdoing it. But at the same time, sport is an important factor in the lives of all of us. And we've got to look at it logically. The politicians are telling us when to go on the field, when not to go on the field. I'm scared of this. And I, I respect them because they are the ones who do it all the time. But I prefer the medical people, the experts who are doing it from different parts of the world, who can advise us in many ways. Because it may appear to be simple. But when an athlete is not trained for two or three months, he's a different type of individual at that point in time. And there are methods that he must use to be able to retain his good health and at the same time go through the, the strenuous exercises that the cricketers, the footballers, the rugby players, the what have you. The important factor is that you must have qualified personnel in all of the professional clubs, definitely. But even in the, the community clubs, it's important because it's a one-time chance. We do not know what the story is. The experts do. And they must guide us to that point in time. They must recommend to the clubs that get a hold of these people. Get a hold of some doctors and some specialists in the business. And make sure that whenever athletes go onto the field, they're pretty certain that they're good and healthy and could uh, really stand the difficult training programs that are available now. I am very worried about it. I would love to see soccer again, sure. And I understand that the English are going to start their, their league soon, and so will the La Liga. This is all very interesting. But I know that they have the financial capability to have doctors and whoever it is around the field. What about the amateurs? What about the schools? What about all of these? All of these, must you must pay attention to the development as of after the coronavirus. It is not going to be the same thing. What appears to have been very normal and natural for the athlete is going to be very difficult at this point in time. And it's not going to get there in a rush. You've got to have to be methodical. You're going to have to watch your health. And you've got to watch the type of exercises that you do at all times. I wish you luck about it. But I tell you this, it's going to be a difficult task, not only for you, the individual, but even the people who watch the game will be, they will come back to their, their enlightening. They want to see their team win this, that, and the other. I've known about football games that in World Cup matches, when a team is lost, somebody drops dead simply because they're shocked. Don't rule it out at any time. But let's hope and pray that we all get together and let the game play and let the kids learn to play properly and let the professionals earn their keep. We wish them luck. It was an empty stadium, but at least the players seemed to be very enthusiastic. Dortmund would need to win that game simply because of the fact that they want to stay into the dance. And of course, it's a derby. Schalke 4 came into the game thinking that maybe a bit of an attack would surprise them. It didn't, as a matter of fact. 
uh, using three men at the back. They left too much space on the far side, and uh, they conceded goals with counterattacks, and uh, they were always outnumbered in defense. In the second half, they tried a little bit better, brought a fourth man back in the back, but the communication was not good. And once again, this Dortmund side was certainly moving the ball around with a certain degree of competence. And uh, there was no question about it. There was fight in the game for Schalke, but there was not any form of this uh, organization that would have brought them a good result. Okay, so it was a good exercise. They've not played for a while. And I got the distinct impression that too many of the Schalke players were getting a second and a third touch. So therefore, uh, the experienced Dortmund side was just closing up the gaps and winning the ball as often as they possibly can. On the other hand, Dortmund looked very good. Well, simply because of the fact that there was too much space. But at the same time, they were moving the ball around quite well. Their defense was always solid. They used the four-man defense. And there were a couple of midfielders who were coming back to try and win the ball so that when they pick it up, they'll have it in center field to work with. And they did extremely well. I was impressed with Dortmund simply because of the fact they hadn't played for a while. Those players may not have been playing consistently together, but the chemistry was wonderful. And it was, for me, it was a very, very good match, particularly knowing that the fans are not there to sort of motivate the players, yet still they showed that sort of enthusiasm, and I'm sure it's going to bring the fans more interested, maybe on the television screen. But they'll do it because the game was a good game. Four to nothing, congratulations, Dortmund. Hello there, Alcon Recon and this time discussing the VAR. Do you think it would have come up so early after the World Cup when it was supposed to be the novelty type of thing during the World Cup? But now there's rumor that they have gone past the VAR in these comp matches that are starting in the recent times. Of course, they were affected by the coronavirus disease and they're starting back and all of a sudden the first thing that was said was that the VAR will no longer be used in this competition. I'm not quite sure that the right thing. I hope I have, simply because of the fact that has made everyone realize that there was difficulty among the referees because they would have been ones to correct it or to ask them to correct it, or the clubs themselves, some of whom have suffered immensely from some of the results. I'm admitting that it may not have been deliberate at all, but it is deep because of the confusion between the referees and the VAR officials. It is always going to be a difficult problem. The game is too lively. The game is one of these high-spirited things that you'd want to see. And the referees would be in high spirits, so would be the players. And then, of course, there'll be confusion at times from time to time. Where some referees are going to let it go, other referees are going to yellow and red cards. These are things that you need to pay attention. It is a good time for the FIFA to look again at the VAR if they have not yet officially decided that they are not going to use it. But for the time being, it's good. I looked at four of the matches and there was no problems uh, between the referees and the players. Congratulations to all these guys. The good news seemed to be that the England tour will come off. The West Indies will have the opportunity to play three test matches in England in the month of June. Immediately on the television, we're seeing the team training uh, very assiduously. 
And this is a good sign. There's no doubt about it because the long rest by the West Indian players because of the coronavirus uh, has probably gotten them into a sluggish mood and maybe their muscles are not properly attuned at this point in time. So they've got some time. They've got to this the 27th. You've got about no, a week and a half, two weeks. I have my reservations about full fitness. There's no doubt about it that any time you turn any form of rigidity to practice sessions or to fitnesses, uh, when you're not properly prepared, it could be a definite disadvantage to the players. However, what I've seen is Gabriel looks pretty good. The fast bowlers all look quite well. And we're obviously facing with a situation where in the early month of June, that ball is going to seem around the place. It's, uh, it's going to make some height. Uh, there are elements of danger for the batsman and discomfort for him as well. The technique's got to be sound, otherwise these batsmen will falter very, very badly. However, we are happy it has happened. We hope that everything is done medically and, and uh, from a point of view of, of health the players and the spectators as well. We good luck for the starting of the West Indies tour to England and we hope that the young West Indian batsmen will learn a lot from the exercise because the wickets are going to vary once or twice or even three times during the course of a month. It'll be surprising but we'll see who will deal with it the best. Well over the past two or three months Trinidad and Tobago's football has been in the doldrums somehow. There's been much confusion. There had been an election three months ago, and there is a new um, government, as you'd want to call it, in the TTFA. But in comes FIFA, and they brought a normalizing com normalization committee with them to sort of help with some of the problems that uh, the Trinidad and Tobago Football Association will have encountered over the past four or five years. A very complex situation financially, and it would have been a good thought when the FIFA decided we're going to help these people, and that is if the intention was to help, or was it um, normalization, to be able to, to sort of revert to different things, to more improved kind of administration, and everything else. Up to this day, no one is quite sure as to what it is. But a number of things have happened that uh, the court cases, so one's attempt in, in Switzerland, the other one now in Trinidad and Tobago, as the management is saying, this is disrespecting us, you can't do that. And there is merit in both of them. As a matter of fact, to look further in, you are looking at situations which seem very unfamiliar when the Trinidad and Tobago football elections, before them, before they took place, the former presidents had some difficulty with it. The president of FIFA came down here on two occasions, and they had somebody out here who was actually looking to see whether the formalization was a good idea, and so they eventually found that it was. Now that they have found that, they're looking around because there are unfamiliar things that happened in the football quite correctly and they will have to look at it but they have also found a few things wrong with the president of fifa infantino not in the caribbean necessarily but out of the caribbean and into europe as a whole and there have been rumors all over the place none of them have been uh, really uh, stultified yet in his place but at the same time 
some good stories are being written about it and talking about his travel to different countries and whether they were legitimate or not. I'd like to point out the fact that FIFA is not Enfantino. FIFA is not one person. FIFA is an organization. And if you're going to look at anything in the context of FIFA, don't just blame or look at Enfantino or any individual person. Look at the whole picture. If you can find fault there, that'll be great. It means that football all across the world will get better. If it is only the individual's fault, then that's even easier. FIFA can move him. But we wait and see how it goes. And we hope that Trinidad and Tobago's football get off the ground as quickly as possible because they are struggling at this point in time. Well, it is said that the Caribbean Professional Cricket League will actually be played in Trinidad and Tobago. Actually, it is said that it's going to be Trinidad and Tobago alone. There's no doubt in my mind that there'll be a lot of enjoyment for the people of this country. But because of the fact that the Verona disease is still around the corner, it is very difficult to think that it is a certainty that it will not arrive at that point in time later down in the month of August. But it certainly deserves the effort to be able to keep sport and particularly entertaining cricket on the market as early as is humanly possible. There are other factors as well. I understand that my Prime Minister is looking at it very carefully. But then again, he is an enthusiastic sports lover and he would certainly enjoy the idea of having the people of this country take a good look at some very exciting cricket, albeit the fact that none of the international players will be in this one this time. It's all Caribbean players, which makes it a lot more interesting simply because each person from a different country in the Caribbean would want his country's team to win. I wish them good luck, but they need to think about it somewhat. If you were going to play two games uh, per day in Trinidad and Tobago, I have not remembered in the past any crowd of over 15,000, 20,000 in a day, much more for two in one day, you're looking for two big crowds. That's going to be difficult. That's going to be a challenge. But it is worth the chat talking about it at this point in time. So if the weather comes up, if the Verona goes away, then all will be happy to see the CPL get on the go. How unfortunate it would be on this day, the first day of a test match between the West Indies and England. One would have expected some better weather. But under the circumstances, it allows the opportunity of the coaches and also the players to take a good look and think, think a lot about the conditions. But more than anything else, think about the situation, the records that are placed on the books by some of the West Indian batsmen could not be too interesting to the air for West Indian fans. Uh, there's been some inconsistencies. The potential has always been there for the past three or four years from some of these players, but they've not really uh, used it properly. On the England side, it may just about be the same thing, but they're at home. They've got a tremendous attitude whenever they are playing at home. Uh, they've got their new captain, Stokes, and he is really a tremendous player by any standards. So much has been said or comparison between Stokes and Jason Holder. 
I don't think that it is um, it is a good bit of comparison here simply because of the fact that uh, Jason Holder has not, has not really established himself in either one of the two areas of batting or bowling. He's useful, but certainly not the category that you'd want to put some of the world's all-rounders in. At this point in time, one's got to view the West Indies batting. Not so much about generally speaking, they are not making runs and their averages are small. It is more a question of why were they not making runs? Is it technically unsound? Is it the fact that they don't have the temperament? Is it the fact that they're misguided into their efforts on the field? I'm not quite sure in my own mind. I'm still hoping that a lot of information will have gone from Phil Simmons to the batsman. He was a batsman himself. He is certainly a learned player and a coach in the game. And one would like to talk to him on uh, Craig Braffitt, for instance, who really has been uh, playing very determined, but his technique has been challenging and he has lost his wicket on a few occasions, very predictably for, from the point of view of the bowlers. So it is nothing that we can look and say, England's going to win this one or the West Indies will win this one. But if you had to make one, you'd have to say England, simply because the West Indies have not demonstrated the kind of consistency that is necessary in the game of cricket. This is test match cricket, and the English have an attitude to positivity. West Indians, they think a little bit. One gets the distinct impression that not all the time they are functioning. How many times have we seen our batsmen giving the wicket away rather than the bowler bowling well enough to get it? This is going to be a challenge of the mind. It is not a question here on the field alone, and particularly for the youngsters, because they too have not been in this type of tight situation where they've got to give their best and they've got to show what they really have. Some say we are missing Darren Brambo, we are missing Hetmeyer. Those things are true, but at the same time, Blackwood's played well, Bonner has played well, um, Shy Hope has played marvelously well at times. And then, of course, Craig Braffitt. My, my position with him is he's an open batsman. He's very stable when he goes to the wicket. But he's very uh, short on his team play. His foot movement, his ability to play with the bottom hand, those things get him into trouble. And I'm hoping that during the period of time that we've not seen them, that Phil Simmons could have been able to get an adjustment out of him and to be able to focus upon the type of batsman that he needs to be and not the type, man, type of batsman that he was. I'm wishing them well. I'm hoping that they play well. And I'm certainly hoping that they put their heads down and show that they are test players. At this point in time, not all of them are. What I'm looking at is our fast bowlers. It's going to be tremendous. Kemar Roach is a wonderful bowler, and he's gotten better and better as he grew older. And then, of course, Alzari Joseph. Full of pace, good line, good length. It's not going to be easy to play him, regardless of whether it's England, Australia, or anybody else. As far as the spinners are concerned, I'm not quite sure that uh, Cornwell uh, should get this situation because uh, Chase is an off spinner, pretty good one too, and uh, he gets the wickets as well, but he's also a batsman. They need to have players, bats, bowlers who can bat or batsmen who can bowl. It is not a fully strength team. This is not Vivian Richards' team or Brian Lara's team. So we have to wait and watch and see how these players will address. Another thing that's important how will the wicket play? The wicket makes 
a big difference in West Indian cricket simply because of the fact that they do not have the variation of wickets in the West Indies as England have in their country. And because of this, they've got to wait and see how it's going to play. And then they've got to think about how do we they adjust their batting or their bowling to satisfy the needs. But let's wait and see after the first day, and then we can talk a little bit more about it. Hi, Alcon Recon fans. Yet another one of these days in a test match in the stadium at Southampton, West Indies versus England. I hope you will enjoy the entire match simply because of the fact we've not seen test cricket for a long time. But on this occasion, England won the toss and they decided on this hard and fast wicket, there was a better risk of batting on it and they took the chance. It didn't work well for them. They only scored 202. They found that Jason Holder and Shannon Gabriel had really bowled exceptionally well. Gabriel very fast. And for a change, we saw Jason Holder taking the pace off his bowling, betting a better length and getting the ball to move off the seam. So much so that the majority of wickets were caught behind, bowled down or caught and slipped. It was a magnificent display by the West Indies. Although they dropped two catches, um, Kemar Roach had dropped one, and he certainly could have gotten it, but he had to move in fast. He's a big guy. He put it down after a great effort. Then Brooks was the next one. It was an easier one, hit to cover, and he let it fall. At the same time, the West Indies took their turn. Campbell was out for 28, and we saw the like of Craig Braffitt and Shai Ho. Now, these two batsmen are really reliable batsmen. The difference is Shane Hope can keep the scoreboard ticking. He can get it going as soon as he plays himself in. He's a fine stroke player. His technique is as sound as they want. But Craig Braffitt has the problem, which he's always had, limited shots. He had to be looking and searching. He had a few on his pads, which he likes because he's a bottom-handed player, playing it out through the mid on and mid-wicket and getting some runs. And he went on and he plodded and plodded and plodded an average about two and a half runs, uh, two and a half balls per run. So that is not particularly good. One of the things that was disturbing today was um, Azari Joseph, who was running into the bad way on the field, on the pitch, so that the umpire had to talk with him. It might have thrown off his bowling. He bowled accurately, but he didn't bowl quick as he would normally do. The man that was bowling quick was Shannon Gabriel. However, he's got something to deal with there because there's no doubt about it. Even the West Indies would know that if he places that end-up run-up on the middle of the pitch, it will work out bad for the batting team the next time around. So they will all have to bet it. However, we are going to take a good close look at Craig Braffitt. We're going to take a close look at Shai Hope. There's no doubt to it. Shane Dowrich, who's, who's doing a wonderful job behind the wickets. Ruston Chase is going to be there. Uh, Shema Brooks will be also be there. They've left out Cornwall out of the team. And what we are going to see is a tremendous effort to get runs to past England, definitely. Because we must now remember that the West Indies will have to bat last on it. You don't want to have Anderson and, and um, Skipper Stokes and whoever else, Geoffrey Archer, you don't want them bowling at you with a small, store to, small score. It's going to be difficult at the end. So 
let's take and wait and enjoy it because we have not seen Test Cricket for a long time. So if you like the podcast, I suggest that you join the subscription list. And we talk about two or three days every week, and we bring you some super information, whether it's in the Test match, whether it's in the, in the English Premier League, and so many other things there are to discuss. It could have been considered a good morning for the West Indies captain because he won the toss for this match and he had the opportunity of going to bat or sending the opposition to bat. He probably liked what he saw in the first test match and decided he's going to send England to bat. Well, well, I was not surprised that they stood up and fought better, but at the same time, I was horrified over the quality of bowling by some of the guys who were bowled so brilliantly in the first test match and were just horrible in the second. Wide balls like you would not believe. One got the distinct impression that they just did not want to get runs scored on them. The accuracy of the bowling was not as good as it should be. What he was right about, the captain of, of the West Indies, was that it was a wicket that had a lot of steam and pace in it and variation in bounce as well. So this should have benefited them. But they just did not bowl the ball in the right line. And the ball was going to that wicket keeper ever so often. When a chase came on, the off-spinner, it was a little bit rough in front and he was getting some spin and some going through and he bowled really well with his two for 53 and was able to take two wickets. And uh, coming on the, later on, it was a good bit of bowling by Alzari Joseph off the slip for the captain and was caught by Jason Holder as well. But at the end of it all, Soaks and Sedley, boy, have they batted well and patiently. They waited. They were not particularly disturbed over the fact that four out of six balls were wide of the off stump or wide of the leg stump. But it was disappointing to look. You can't believe that a week ago, you saw Shannon Gabriel on a tremendous piece on the stumps bowling the, the, these guys down and the ball rushing off the outside edge and getting wickets as well. We saw in the captain himself, um, Jason Holder, getting the ball to seam in the first test match. This time it was seaming, but way and way out on the off and leg side. It was a big disappointment for the West Indies. I'm not going to discredit the English simply because you can get out with a bad ball. But I will certainly give them credit for the fact that they were patient. They waited their turn. They got to 207 for three. And in truth and fact, they would have been satisfied with that on the first day of this game. They lost a little bit of time in the early stages and they had to go on their concentration. Stokes is really an amazing man. He's a, a very enthusiastic bowler, bowls a good line all the time. He comes to bat and he's not easy to get out and he's not afraid to play strokes either. So it was a day belonging to England. Maybe at this point in time, they have to sit now and think about it. I would expect that they'd get a bit of movement on the ball tomorrow as well. But they need to bowl towards the batsman. They cannot, they, they no longer can attract their attention outside the line of the off stump and outside the line of the leg stump. They actually made little Darwin look bad and as a wicket keeper. The ball was so wide and he was throwing himself all around. It was still dancing. It had a immediate swing as soon as it left the bowler's hands so therefore it was going even further it was a disappointment for me I hope the second day could be better for the West Indies there must be some level of discussion 
I would like to think that Ian Bishop and Michael Holding will get into that discussion somehow. These experienced bowlers, I said, listen, if it's swinging about like that and you're not even putting as much effort to get the swing, then cross the seam and bowl it straight at them. At least make them play for it. Go for the variation of bunks and every now and again one cuts away and you may get a better result. I was disappointed. I hope it works better tomorrow. But at this point in time, England's in control. That man Stokes is just a wonderful cricketer and he has held the ground well and so did Sibby. So we're going to wait till morning and see if the West Indies get up on the right side of the bed and do the right thing for tomorrow. With just about 40 minutes to go in this day, second day in the test match between England and the West Indies. England did extraordinarily well, getting very close to 500 runs, and this certainly will be an impact, a negative impact really, on the West Indies batting. However, one will have to admit that the bowlers did a lot better today than they did yesterday. The line and length had improved considerably, and it was one of these tough days out of character. Um, Stokes is a brilliant all-rounder. When I first saw him, I thought he was a little bit cavalier, but now he's got the kind of discipline and he had a right-hander approaching him called Sidley, who did extremely well, getting both getting hundreds. Now, this is going to be a tall order with just about three days in front of the West Indies, and they've got to bat twice. I would imagine that the, the physical uh, capability of the West Indies fielders will tell itself, not only this afternoon, because they've got a rest uh, overnight, but... It's going to be mentally tough for those who bat this afternoon, and let's hope it's not too many of them. It has been a good day of cricket, if only because of the fact that we saw the both teams uh, thinking intelligently and trying their best to do as much as is possible. We saw a good bowling uh, performance from Chase, five, five wickets for 170. Oh, that's still not bad because this is a wicket that was turning a bit and uh, he was util utilizing it quite well. The other bowlers had some bad luck. I would think Kemar Roach had had a bit of bad luck as well. But in the main, England is in control. They will determine every single thing they've just declared. And now they, what they're going to do is they will not allow, I'm sure, a Stokes to come into the bowling. He's been at it too long. So they've already got their, their two bowlers. I'm sure Broad is going to be one of them and Curran's the other so let's wait and see what happens. But at this point in time, it's an uphill battle for the West Indies. Let's hope that the batters can take control of it. They've shown that they got the potential to get out of the early stages into the 30s and 40s. Now they've got to show us if they are capable of getting hundreds, just like good test players will do. Let's wish them the best of luck for the balance of this evening and what is to come tomorrow. This is Alcon Recon, and this is Alvin speaking. It's all about England versus the West Indies in the second test match. What a game it turned out to be. Almost the opposite from the first test match. What we saw in England's first innings in the first test was just some meager 200 runs. But it was far different in this test match. 469 for nine. A really formidable display of batting by two of the English batsmen, Ben Hooks and, and Tom Sidley, both getting hundreds. I think this is what test matches are all about. Batsmen will score and score well. 
They won't score well all the time, but different batsmen can score different runs in the innings. So this was Stokes and Seibel scoring hundreds and getting 469 for nine, declared. It was a test for the West Indies. Were they going to be working diligently at this to approach 469? I would have thought so. But at the same time, I realized that they were playing into themselves. They were trying not to get out. They thought it was a big score. And we saw some defensive work in the early stages. But as soon as it had broken through with the two openers, it was a very, very vulnerable part of the game for the West Indies. We saw a little bit of shy hope, but not half as much as we want to see. The players who really done extremely well was Brooks and Blackwood. They had played exceptionally well, and they were seemingly listening to themselves as to how they should go on as the innings went on. I could see a lot of maturity in them. I can see talent in them as well. In the final analysis, they gave in to the scores less than 100 when they were well past 50. This is not what it's all about. I think this is West Indies' biggest problem. Okay, so the batsmen, the top batsmen, put together with Jason Holder, he didn't do well as well. Young Dorwich, the wicketkeeper who played so well in the first test match, he had a pair of ducks. I think it is because of the flair of a little bit of hostility from the fast bowlers. He seemed to be not uh, doing as well as he normally would want to do because he'd had some good runs in test cricket already. So they fell short. And England knew that they couldn't follow on. So they went in again to try to get a quick score and give the West Indies over 300 to make. And boy, did we see Ben Stokes with a wonderful bit of hitting and taking his team total after losing two wickets, taking his team total in the second innings to 129, which gave West Indies over 300 runs to make. We knew this wouldn't be easy, but we felt that they could battle on. They could try it as much as they can. We also are aware of the fact that the fifth day of the test match, it would have a sort of unusual type of wicket. The ball might be squatting. It might be deviating from off the pitch left to right, and it would create all sorts of problems. Young batsmen would have had to change their technique. You can't play down the first line, the first touchdown of the ball. It's going to move around because there are patches of footsteps in just in front of them. And this was to the benefit of the bowlers. I have to admit that um, Wokes and, and uh, Kuran were both very, very good with the ball, bowling good line and length and everything. Even little Ost Spinner, uh, Bess, was doing his job in the way that he stood. It was not the type of test match that one would blame the West Indies for. Things didn't work their way in the way that it should. They might have been able to put another 100 runs on the first inning, there was the opportunity for it. The batsmen were doing well. They were building themselves into good batting and then getting out. The options of, of staying at the wicket means that the only time you go for adventurous shots is when you're fully set, you understand what the wicket is doing, you understand what the bowler is doing, and you wait and wait your turn to get to 100. It does not happen often enough with these youngsters. 
And so long as they don't come out of that 50, 60, 70 get out category, the West Indies will be fighting to get a good score. But I would say it was a better performance than the first test match. So we look forward to the third test match on Friday and see if any of these faults can be corrected and maybe the West Indies could turn out and beat England again. Hi there, Alcon Recon again. This time it is at the end of the second day of the third test match. What a day it has been. When it started, everyone thought that maybe somewhere along the line, England will take their 258 for four right onto a lot of runs. They actually did, they got to 369 and they were all out. This gave the West Indies an opportunity to sort of consolidate. It was a wicket that was still playing as flat as it was, getting a bit of movement, but nothing that should have worried a top-class batsman. Unfortunately, uh, they lost Braffitt very early, and uh, they, it started to be a difficult situation. Uh, Campbell was playing quite well, as a matter of fact, although he was dropped by Stokes in the slip in the early part of his innings, but he went on to score 32. And uh, on the other hand was Hope. He scored 17, but he struggled. He's not himself recently, and there are many people who would have compared him as one of the youngsters in the Caribbean would probably have been plotting a course on a path up to people like Brian Lara. But this was not the case. Brooks was out for four, and uh, he too did not show the kind of potential that he had been showing in the past. Uh, Chase, I was surprised he stayed long. He didn't sort of express himself by way of shots. He was on the defensive for most of the way until he lost his wicket on nine. Blackwood came in and started his own very way. This guy has a very attractive look when he's batting, plays the ball nicely on the, on the up and plays it straight most times. However, he was bowled for 26. Holder came in and he was battling. It was not an easy battle for him. He was playing and missing quite often with the ball seeming off this, the, the, the pitch and going past the outside edge of the bat. And he is on 24 and Dowich is on 10. Now, they're at 137 for six. The light was not very good, so the umpires took it off and they never continued play. What sort of a position is this for the West Indies? Is this a situation where they are going to falter again? They still have got a few runs to see if they follow on, and this will give them the opportunity to put the pressure on. I would say this for the West Indians, the bowlers bowled exceptionally well. It was, again, a question of Kemar Roach doing as well as is humanly possible, and I thought that he, um, he should be proud of himself on this occasion. A very, very rhythmic kind of... Um, run-up that he takes at all times, his length and line, very, very good indeed, and he picked up two wickets. But now they're faced with trying to get a few ends coming on to the end, which I expect that um, the ability of Jason Holder and uh, Dorwich will take them past the required total so that England will have to bat again. It will give yet another chance to the West Indian fast bowlers. They've actually bowled well. Um, I don't think that you, they could have expected more. Their line was good. They, they were bowling some 
good balls that were beating the outside edge and sometimes beating the inside edge. That was very satisfactory as far as their bowling was concerned. But now the task is a bit of an uphill one, I think. Uh, you have 137 for six. You've got to make a few youngs runs to get in out of the follow-on. But even if you do get out of the follow-on, it's still an uphill task simply because of the back. There are three days left to go. And it would seem to me that the temperament of the English batsmen seem to be bringing them forward with reasonable scores in the last two test matches, of course. So we have to wait and see how it goes on. But it was a good day for people like Anderson, who played, who bowled very, very well. And for the West Indies, it was Kimar Roach. There's no doubt in the mind that these two guys are top-class fast bowlers. And they demonstrated this on this, the second day of the test match. What's going to come up for it tomorrow? We don't know, but we certainly keep you posted. Hey there, this is Raycon Alcon once again. Today, we want to pay tribute to Liverpool. This team had worked very hard during the course of this season. They've got a reputation of playing well, but for many years, they've not been able to win the tournament. On this occasion, they certainly ensured that they would do it because they won it by a long margin. What was interesting about them is that Jürgen Klopp was able to sort of groom youngsters into positions and brought them to a certain degree of competence that made his team difficult to beat. The chemistry of his team was very good. He had a very strong defense. And young Alexander Arnold on the right wing back is certainly an exceptionally good right wing back. Of course, Van Dyke and, and Gomez in the middle of the field with Robinson on the other side. They were a perfect team, almost to the point that you seemed that nobody would beat them. They would have lost some games, but it certainly was, wasn't because of they are a bad team or they have bad players. They have made mistakes. There must, might have been some lethargy, as a matter of fact, in some of the matches. But the game that bothered me was the one they had just played against Chelsea. They were leading Chelsea and everything was going fine. Chelsea fought back. Uh, a few tough things that happened in the match seemed to have been aggravating both managers. And uh, during the course of the game, it was not felt. But as soon as the game was completed, and there was that argument between uh, the two coaches, it bothered me simply because of the fact that I have the greatest respect for Jurgen Klopp. I thought he did a wonderful job. He's a very articulate person, and he treats his players very well. I also recognize over the months that he also congratulates the, his opponents whenever he's finished playing. Not this game. This game, it was a confrontation between himself and Lampard. I'm disappointed for that because I thought Lampard was doing very, very well for Chelsea. There are many who didn't think that he would be anywhere near the top five or six because of the fact that they were a little bit disoriented in the early stages. As soon as he came on, he did very well, and he brought the team better and better and better. This one, it was also a good match that he was playing because he was behind, and they came back on two different occasions. At the end, they lost the match. What caused the argument, and why did they have to have that argument out on the field? Maybe they would say, well, there was nobody in the stadium. I disagree. There were millions who watched this match across the world. And if you want to get the 
the type of a sportsmanship, you would look for, for it from people like Lampard and Jurgen Klopp. It did not happen. It was consistent. There were fingers pointing at each other, and I was too far away to hear what they were saying. But it certainly was not pleasant, and it did not leave a good picture. I often ask coaches when they do things like that, what do you expect your players to do? If you see your, your players see you doing things in that way, don't you think that they would want to follow suit? They would want to be disagreeable? They would want to argue with other people on the field? This is certainly not becoming of these two men. I'm sure that they, in hindsight, they must be regretting that they would have done it. But it is not the type of thing to do. And it was the wrong day as well. When the world was looking at Liverpool going for their victory and as Chelsea fighting to get into the Champions League of next year, it, is, it was a good match. And they both had good seasons. But can I say that they spoiled it with that difference of opinion? Maybe for something that uh, the referee might have done. But they make mistakes ever so often. And this should not have brought that kind of behavior. I hope they apologize to the players and probably to the, the public as well. Definitely, congratulations to both the teams, Liverpool in particular. And I hope that they be able to sort this problem out before anything goes further. Hey, cricket fans of the Caribbean. This is Alcon Raycon. I wish we could talk better about the West Indies cricket and the performance of the West Indies team. But in many ways, we need to understand a lot of things. Some of the things that we need to understand is that how do we create an improved opportunity in our cricket players? When in truth and fact, they have been in the game for a long time. They've developed habits that have been putting them into trouble in recent times. They need to be taught individually about some of the faults that they have. And this is the main reason why they're not getting to the runs. It is because of a difference in personalities. It's because of the fact that they cannot concentrate for long periods. They also have deficiencies in their technique as well. We've got to look at all of that before we can jump onto their backs and talk about because there are areas of good uh, feet for them. We've got some wonderful bowlers in Kemar Roach and Shannon Gabriel. These guys can bowl their hearts out, and they're doing very well. But somebody's got to make the runs for them to defend, and this is where the big problem is. If you take our first six or seven batsmen, there are definitely faults in their batting. They have to look at it. They have to look at it very carefully. I'm not saying that they would co um, correct it in the middle of a test match, but it is something that they have to think about. There may, be, there may have to be changes in their footwork. There may have to be changes in their attitude to go in from run to run. And more than anything else, they must want to do it. And the coaches, I'm sure, are trying very hard with it. But at this point in time, the picture has not been shown as a good one. Yes, we have won it first test match and we give you credit for that but what we're looking for is consistency we want to see the runs on the board with a certain degree of of consistency the english are doing it they're no better than us talent wise but they are adopting themselves a lot better and because of this they are getting their targets and we are not getting ours i'm not critical 
of whatever receive whatever decision is received tomorrow my idea is let's look at the future let's now uh, sit down and take a look at each and every batsman look at his deficiencies you have coaches there who can help them on and i certainly hope by the time we meet the next series these players will be different pictures at the wicket and not what they have produced in these fast three test matches i still wish that we can save it tomorrow Hello there, this is Raycon Alcon from the CONCACAF region. Well, the good news is that CONCACAF has announced that the qualifying series for the World Cup will begin sometime in the month of October. This may sound to be very interesting news for anybody, especially in the, Carib in the Caribbean. And at this point in time, it leaves some of the Caribbean people with hope that there will be a bit of luck for them in the competition. Much has been said about two extra teams coming in and qualifying for the World Cup. I've heard that one before. The most important one is for Trinidad and Tobago. No one knows whether they are out of the FIFA at the moment or whether they are in FIFA at the moment. It is a mystery simply because of the fact that four or five months ago, the normalization committee had been in Trinidad and Tobago trying to solve a problem. And they've gone nowhere just yet. And uh, one is left to believe that uh, Trinidad and Tobago will not be allowed to participate in the qualifying series. That's disgusting to say the least, simply because of the fact that even if the national program is struggling somewhere along the line, any help for them must be very important for football in any country. How could we allow football not to be played for close to a year in a small island like ours? It takes a lot to develop the game in any of the Caribbean countries. So it is even worse now to know that they don't even know when they're going to play. Nobody's saying anything. It seemed to be a silent arrangement uh, between the normalization committee and the TTFA. And incidentally, it's more problems because the FIFA president, Mr. Enfantino, is now under legal pressure to do things, and he is part and parcel of the what has happened in Trinidad and Tobago regarding a lot of things. He has been a very good friend of the former president, David John Williams, and I'm sure that whatever is brought before him in Zurich must be very important. Zurich never goes that easily into taking anything unless they know everything about it. So sooner or later, we'd hear a little bit about it. There's a lot more in the CONCACAF thing as far as the, the CFU is concerned, because for many years, they have kept the presidency of CONCACAF outside of the Caribbean region. And really and truly, it should always be the Caribbean region because they've got the most votes. And so long as the Caribbean vote together, they can get a Caribbean president. Okay, so they're going to tell us about Mr. Jack Horner and, and anybody else who have, have been um, sort of censored by FIFA and uh, on difficult situations. But still, why can't the CFU get together and decide we're going to choose one of our
an intelligent a gentleman who can lead, who can understand administrative work, and who has the game of football at heart. We're still looking for one, but at the same time, what do we do from now? I'm disappointed when the formalizing committee cannot find an opportunity to carry on with your investigations, but football must be played in Trinidad and Tobago at a competitive level. It is not good. It is not good for the game in Trinidad and Tobago for them not to have been doing the work fast enough so that the teams can get themselves ready to play. We'll have to wait and see and see how it goes. Hi, sport fans. This is Alcon Recon, once again out of the Caribbean. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? Of course, there's the great cricket match that's going on out in England against Pakistan, but that's only the second day starting. Let's talk a little bit about the CONCACAF and their recent decisions, not only in, to try and play the tournaments, which have been put aside for a while, but it's certainly uh, changing the face of uh, soccer in Trinidad and Tobago, simply because of the fact of the the problems that existed over the past four months where a normalizing committee of FIFA had been residing in Trinidad and Tobago with the hope of correcting some faults that existed by the Trinidad and Tobago Football Association. Well, after four months, they went to court with the matter, Trinidad and Tobago, stating that they would like to have the case looked after in the local courts in Trinidad. And they, yesterday, the judge decided that, yes, that is what must happen, much to the disgust of FIFA, who would like to have had it out into Zurich. Well, what are the benefits or what are the losses of, uh, say, Trinidad and Tobago first? In the first place, it simply means that the, um, FIFA is going to have to pay for the, the, all the legal actions here to this program. That's true. And if... Trinidad and Tobago had to go to Switzerland, it would have been the same thing, but benefiting Switzerland. But at this point in time, all the, the judge is saying is he gave permission to that the program and the charges must be done in Trinidad. Okay, so that's a win for Trinidad and Tobago, but is it? Is it the type of decision that could have affected FIFA? FIFA is the leading party of football across the world. FIFA sent the committee here to look after the problems that existed in the TTFA, which means that FIFA is pretty well aware that there are numerous problems that existed with the TTFA. Now, they, are they trying to fight a case here in Trinidad? Let us say, for instance, that uh, FIFA loses whatever it is, what do you think will happen? FIFA will no longer have anything to do with the situation and all the problems, financial especially, that uh, FIFA, uh, that TTFA has, will have to be dealt with otherwise. We're talking about 50-odd million dollars. The Trinidad and Tobago Football Association does not have that money. That's clear. They don't even have a part of it. But what is even more interesting is that that money in different areas from coaches, coaches' debts and, and every other thing 
have already passed through the local course and they are liable now to go get their money with the TTFA. Do they have the money? I don't think so. But that's the confusion about it all. And then, of course, on the other side of the coin, CONCACAF has decided to, to put their plan in for the, the Gold Cup and the World Cup of Qatar. And then they put their, their qualifying club championships uh, to be started in a few weeks. Now, is Trinidad and Tobago eligible to play in it? I'm not quite sure because the normalization committee here has replaced the Trinidad and Tobago Football Association. So it is a quagmire. It is a problem that could not be understood. And I'm not taking any blame away from FIFA. They must take some blame. They've been here for four months. And nobody has been able to say what they have done in that particular period of time. This is wrong. As a matter of fact, this is quite a quagmire something that should not and could not have been expected by either one of these two major international football organizations. What's the next matter? What's the next step? There's a, a national team coaching program here going on, but the coach apparently doesn't have his job simply because the duties of the TTFA have been handed over to the normalizing committee. Now, we need to grow up on this. This is not something that should be um, taking so much time to find a solution. And I am very disappointed in this regard on both angles. I'm disappointed in the Trinidad and Tobago Football Association because they are trying to win a case in the Trinidad course that if they, if they win it, they will lose their position in FIFA. This is only my opinion, but this is how FIFA will probably operate. Why should they want to help the Trinidad and Tobago Football Association if they want to have the case there and if they want to be able to settle any of the differences that are available? It means that if they win, then they would have won something. I beg you, it's not going to happen like that. And once again, normalizing committee will be here and they will be trying to see if they can find ways and means. That is if the court matter is of satisfaction to them. If it's not, then FIFA will just take them out, take themselves out of that problem and say to them, when you solve the problem, let us know, and then we'll, we will re-enter you into CONCACAF club championships, world championships, women championships, and everything else. Until then, confusion is the name of the game in the Trinidad and Tobago courts and for the Trinidad and Tobago Football Association. Alvin Cornell from Alcon Arecon. This time it is the West Indies Cricket Board. A number of interesting events are taking place around the table and with a number of luminaries in terms of what administration is all about. Over the years, the West Indies Cricket Board has not enjoyed the benefit of the manner in which cricket was uh, controlled throughout the Caribbean and, as a matter of fact, across the world. More recently, there was a, a competent administration in my books, and uh, they are making an effort to straighten things out, to get the management going. They brought together a bunch of uh, persons who are quite likely to contribute very well to whatever plans there will be in the process. They have actually completed one part of it. 
they have reduced the number of their management from nine to six. And uh, that, in truth and fact, is one of the policies that I always admire. You don't want big committees, you want small ones. And having said that, a number of the subcommittees under the, uh, the, the West Indies cricket will be reduced as well. Now, is that the only problem? I'm not quite sure. The failure of West Indies cricket over the past few years is certainly a question of the technical aspects of each and every player. We can talk this way simply because we have seen some of the world's finest players over the last 20 or 25 years. And this situation was not any different, except for the fact that we have not seen the technical personnel grabbing a hold of the youngsters and turning them into anything more than just average players who love to play a shot and love to uh, take a catch or love to bowl fast. But technically and tactically, they are unsound, and that's the one that they need to take care of. And I'm sure they know that, simply because of the fact that they will probably try to go through the Caribbean and get the coaches out in that area, probably give them some uh, coaching uh, lessons as well, and then put them in to the different countries and let them work hard enough to bring a better quality of play from the youngsters. I'm afraid if we continue to go the way we are going without advising these youngsters as to what good technique is all about, what good tactics in, in 4D and 5D cricket is all about, we will be right where we are now in the next five, six years. I don't want it to be like that. So I certainly hope that the West Indies Cricket Board decide that they will take the, the technical side of this game and really put it into the field whereby the players today will benefit more than they should from the exercise. Hey, sports fans. Once again, Alvin Cornell with Alcon Recon. Well, I've never seen it before. I thought I may have seen it uh, sometime, maybe not in the near future. But when Barcelona comes up against Bayern Munich, you would think that it's going to be a pretty tight battle between these two teams. Wonderful players on both sides of the park, and it would have been a joy to watch. Well, it certain, certainly was not. It was an absolute disappointment. I don't believe that anyone would have seen Barcelona in such a poor performance as they had been today. And I'm not going to take it away from Bayern Munich. They played beautiful football. What they did recognize was that Barcelona was wearing the poorest defense line that they have worn in years. It was so easy to go past them. They were standing square for passes that were coming through. They were not communicating well. They were not retreating when they go forward too much. And it was just a question of, you know, what is going to happen at the end of it all. Barcelona never looked apart, despite the fact that um, Messi may have tried tremendously to keep into the game Vidal and Suarez. It just did not work. There was a little man up the back of uh, uh, Bayern Munich who was controlling the whole game, uh, Thiago uh, Alcantara. And the chemistry of the white shirts was just wonderful. 
it is not going to be easy to live that one down. I think this t this game, the result of this game, 8-2, to two, will certainly take a lot out of the administration of the Barcelona, out of the coaching staff, out of Barcelona. As a matter of fact, it's not too often you want to blame coaches for matches being lost, but this could not be a well-planned game by the coach. This could not be anything close to what he would want it to have been. Even some of the great players in the game who were on the field there, um, of course I'm referring to Messi and, and Suarez and once upon a time PK and once upon a time Bosquet, these guys are way past their back. They were not even close to what they should have been. And every, almost every time that the Bayern Munich team went with Lewandowski and the rest of them going forward, it appeared to me that a goal was in the making. And you know what? Yes, a goal was in the making. It was one of those wonderful football matches for Bayern Munich. Everyone said they were playing well. They were. But at this point in time, they wouldn't even give a chance to play to the best of their ability, simply because of the fact that there was no demand made for it by Barcelona. It was really a disappointing day for the game of football. How could you have world-class players on the field and succumbing to eight goals to two and a very, very comfortable win for the Bayern Munich team. I am pleased to see that they have done so well. They have always been showing to be a really top-class team. At times they have been beautiful, other times they may not have been as good. Well, they were up against the best and they played the best. Eight to two. A result in the Champions League semi-final is going to send Barcelona thinking a lot before they could come back onto the field. It was one of the disappointing moments for anybody who loved football. It was not only because of the nice goals that were scored. They were simple goals, as a matter of fact, and really a lot of a few of them to be mistakes of the, the, the defense, and uh, there was nothing that could have been done about it. But... Look at it another time. Maybe you'd get onto your, your TV and look at it again. It is a diabolical performance by Barcelona. I don't think that we will ever see them play as bad as again. As a matter of fact, I expect them to go into the transfer market now. There are far too many players in that team who are not capable of reaching the quality that Barcelona produces. We'll have to wait and see. It's a day of... Not so much joy for Barcelona. I would think that the beautiful city of Barcelona will always bring cheer to the people who live there. Not today. It's going to be vastly different when they go back. Hello there. Another Alcon Recon story. This time it is Manchester City, a team that plays so extraordinarily well on a consistent basis all over the years. On this occasion, they were beaten by Lion of France. It was an interesting game, if only because of the fact that both these teams have committed themselves to playing tough and the right type of game. There's no doubt about it, the statistics will have shown that Manchester City was all over their opponents, 67% in their possession of the game. They had 15 shots at goal, eight on target, against a Lion 6. Then, of course, four blocked goals by the, by the Lion goalkeeper and only one by the keeper for Manchester City. 
As a matter of fact, the game itself was high quality. When you look at the new players that have come with Manchester City in the course of this season, three of them were on the field. And when you had reservations about their performances, they did extremely well. Uh, Garcia at central defense was surprisingly good. I saw him before and I didn't think that he had that kind of quality. He certainly does. Cancelo, another one, playing at left wing back. He didn't play there for this season, but he played well today. And Laporte, he was there last season. So there were good players playing good football. There were debatable goals, and I don't think we'd go into that simply because of the fact that Manchester City had more than enough goals to win this game in the first half. So congratulations to Lions. They have been fighters. They worked very hard. They have done a lot of extra work. One can see it. Dembele was brought onto the field in the 78th minute when the score was one all. And in truth, in fact, he scored a goal in the 79th minute and another one in the 87th. So he was the main man for Lions. Manchester City may walk away with disappointment, but when you win 21 trophies over a period of seven years, Sepp uh, Guardiola cannot be disappointed in this. His players played extremely well. Ball possession, very good indeed. Control of midfield. It was just the tough going with tough tackles against the, the looks of Sterling and uh, Christ, uh, Jesus, as a matter of fact. Uh, they were tough on the luck and they couldn't get it as right as they wanted. But congratulations to Lyon. They will go into the semi-final of the Champions League. Well, another great match played by Manchester United up against Sevilla. It is a very interesting game from all angles. The high profile of Manchester United would have allowed them to be a favorite in this particular game. But recently we saw Sevilla play against Wolverhampton and boy, did they play reasonably well. So it seems to me that they had planned as well as it was possible. They never outplayed anybody, just played well enough to be able to win the game. And this was the case of Sevilla as well against Manchester City, who actually had started the game very well, moving a ball, the ball around and getting the opposition to fall onto the defensive side. But gradually they came into play and they were putting the pressure on them, high uh, covering up in the opponent's half of the field and winning the ball ever so often. Of course, the skill of Pogba was a regulator in the centre field together with Fred, but not with the kind of distribution that we're expecting, simply because of the fact that Sevilla was very much in the defensive mood. What we have seen here is a question of good planning, good technique, good tactics. Manchester United, there's no doubt about it, they've got high-profile players of great quality. But there are a number of factors that would have deterred their progress in this game. The first one was the absence of proper communication among the players. We've seen it far too often, even to the point of players getting annoyed with each other and swearing at each other. That doesn't help the team to any great extent. They were in the lead and uh, with a penalty, and it was expected that they will come on and go on and do a lot better. They've got some beautiful strikers these days in, in terms of Marshall and Rashford and, and Greenwood, but they did not do as well as they should. Did they get the kind of exposure to passes 
did they see the finance passes that they were accustomed to seeing? I don't think they saw a lot of it. What they saw was a counter-attack game by the civilians. And boy, did they find gaps on the field, especially going around the sides and leaving that center field uh, very vulnerable for Man with Manchester United. And those were the areas that caused the goals for Sevilla. It was just a wonderful game of football. It's a lesson for Manchester United. They need to understand that when situations like this come, they've got to learn to be on the defensive maybe a little bit more than on the attacking length. They went forward without the reservations of a counter-attack. They paid the penalty for it. It was a good game for Sevilla and certainly not a very good one for Manchester United. But let's see what's going to happen in the final because I got the distinct impression in these Europa Cup matches that the standard of play is very good. It is very intensive and they are getting the results they're looking for. The close results, you have to admit that the games were really good. And congratulations to Fia. Now we're going to see what they can do with the next step. It was certainly one of the better football matches that we have seen for the past six months. There's no doubt about it, a bunch of superstars in Bayern Munich and PSG should have encouraged that type of game, and it did. As a matter of fact, the strategy on both teams seemed to be uh, very precise in what they want to do. Unfortunately, Bayern Munich was uh, put under pressure for a number of opportunities. Few, three chances, as a matter of fact, created by PSG. None of it was much of good finishing when you take into consideration that Mbappe was in front and that was uh, Di Maria was also in front. The, passes, the opp opportunities went to them and they certainly did not make use of it. I will admit that uh, Bayern Munich had possession of the ball, but for a good reason. They weren't trying to rush forward. They were pulling the opposition into their half of the field, playing the ball with a numerous amount of passes, short passes, and there was a little bit of reluctance on the part of uh, PSG to go in there and fight for it because they probably recognized the vulnerability of their team behind, not in terms of ability, but in terms of their positional play. And so many times they have been able to get into the Bayern Munich penalty area in the first half, particularly three and then and two in the second half. But the team to score was Bayern Munich simply because they held their ground. They pushed the ball in. They, the opposition did not try to force them from coming into their, their own penalty area. So they walked to the ball in there. We saw some good slick passing and creation of cross balls. Muller's cross ball on the right side was absolutely perfect onto Koeman's head. And that was the goal that scored for the, for the match. Uh, Bayern Munich could take credit for a number of things in this. Their strategy was good. There's no doubt about it. Their players fought more in the game than their opponents. There was too much uh, ben uh, benefiting by the PSG on the, the big man in the team. And you don't want to do that sort of thing. You had Mbaye in the, in the front. You had Angel Di Maria in the front. But Neymar was the one that you had to watch. They kept watching him constantly. He created a few, but he didn't do as well because he was always crowded. He never tried to move away from traffic and let some of the other less affected players get into his way. So there may have been some sort of um, ignoring a player of that caliber. It didn't happen. And at the end of it all, it is the strategy that won the game, in my opinion. I am not convinced in my own mind that 
PSG's got a strong defense. They've got good players, but positionally, I don't think they've had the type of, of organizational skill that they should have, and this may have brought their demands. However, it was a close game. It could have been anybody's. I am pretty play, clear in my own mind that this was one of the more wonderful football matches that we have seen for this season. Congratulations to Bayern Munich. It is uh, certainly an honor for them to be winning again. They won all the matches in this championship. That's amazing. So congratulations. And let's wait until next year to see who's going to take it. Bye.